When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. It's a Monday afternoon here in the MEN headquarters and you might recognise some different surroundings here. We're in the little studio and I'm joined, of course, by Samuel Luckhurst. My name is Stephen Rilston and we're not in our bedrooms today or our offices, Samuel. We're actually in a, a nice little studio. This is, this is a nice tribute to Michael Parkinson. <laughs> we were just discussing him before we came on air. I watched an interview um, with Parkinson and uh, Muhammad Ali at the weekend. So I'm not sure if this dynamic's going to be the same and who's Ali and who's Parkinson, <laughs> but we'll, we'll find out over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, of course, Samuel, we're getting stuck into it today. Well, performance at the weekend from Manchester United, 2-0 defeat at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, they got, got away with it uh, against Wolves, it's fair to say. On Monday, we were both there in the press box, 1-0, but the performance was quite disappointing. We discussed that on the podcast, the last podcast and the preview podcast. Um, but you were there with Tyrone, as usual. What were your takeaways from the match? Because they had this problem last season where they struggled to score goals. Um that was evident again against Tottenham. They've signed a striker for 72 billion and he's injured. And it's starting to look a bit silly now, isn't it? We're known Wan-Bissaka has been your best outfield player in your first two games of the season. You have got problems and that's not a slight on him. He's, he's had a very good calendar year, but it is very much a slight on the forwards who have, have not turned up so far. The, the performance level hasn't been there, never mind the finishing. And... The performance level of some of those players against Tottenham was actually worse than against Wolves, even though overall United's the, the performance was actually an improvement on the Wolves game. And sometimes that happens. We were saying, I think you spoke to one of the Wolves analysts who was actually quite upbeat after losing. And coming away from that, even though they, they lost, it felt like Wolves could extract more positives from that actual game than United could. But United got the positive result. On Saturday, United played better a little bit better anyway, but they don't get the result. But these issues, I, I said it at the time in terms of the poor planning, and I think I saw one fan say, oh, it's not, the striker isn't the issue. It isn't, it's an undisputable fact that the striker or lack of a striker is an issue. They've scored one goal in two games. That goal was scored by a centre-back from across by a right-back. And... You look at the, just, just taking one example, the, the Anthony chance when he hit the post. Some people might say he's unlucky there. I completely disagree. He should be scoring. He, everything was in his favour. The gap was there. He was on his left foot. A top draw, left-footed forward sticks that away. And he doesn't. And we've seen that before from him. And I thought he actually had a decent end to last season, but he's regressed. Other players have regressed. Fernandes is an example. Um, Rashford through the middle we both said going into the game we wouldn't pick an unchanged team Ten Hag did that in Venice United they were pretty good in the first half they probably edged the first half but that lack of variety in attack and this is what I was a little bit perplexed by there doesn't seem to be any inclination from Ten Hag or the players 
to switch at all, to vary things up, to be multifunctional. It's just Rashford is up front and that's that. And he did have a good chance with the one-on-one. The keeper made a, a pretty decent save. He, he spread himself. But beyond beyond that and, and nutmegging, uh, nutmegging the, new, the new Tottenham defender, his body language was bad. Uh, he didn't impose himself. You saw when he was substituted how um, irate he was as well. He's not a striker, but we knew six years or so ago, he's not a striker. You've got to change things there, especially when he's not scoring. And I didn't really see him improving on, on the Wolves game that much. And even when he did score against Lons in pre-season, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good performance from him. And sometimes with really good strikers, a goal will mask how, how poorly they've performed or they at least always put themselves, um, they're still in the game. You don't have that with Rashford as a striker. And to an extent, it's not fair on him, but he has played enough times there that United should be expecting more from him. And it's it's not just the attack. The midfield, obviously, Bissouma was the man of the match. Uh, Saar was the match winner. They rode roughshod over United. They were so, so much more energetic in the second half. And that's going to be another issue. Roy Keane said, you know, I'd, I'd like to know what they're doing on the training pitch. Are they being overtrained? Because there was no ebullience from United in that second half. It, it didn't feel like they were ever going to salvage the game. And they, they've looked very, very gettable, very open defensively. Tottenham had two or three good chances in the first half first minute United's press gets beaten and they're exposed and there's a chance for Son on the counter-attack and with the first goal it, it was Luke Shaw at his very worst just just jogging barely jogging and you're wondering why is he not why is he not confronting or why is he not engaging Kulisevsky uh, and, and leaving it to Garnacho? Shaw wasn't marking anyone so it, it was a it was a bad day. The, the second half in particular, there were no positives from it whatsoever. And Ten Hag can look at the forwards and the, their inability to finish, but he has to be culpable because, again, he was slow to react with his changes in the second half. And for, for whatever reason, there was no dynamism about United. And again, Keane said it about United away from home, and I've said it for a while now. And this was another example. It was a really good atmosphere at Spurs and it wasn't in April. But United still, it feels like when they go away from home and the crowd is relatively loud, it seems like they can't cope with that, which I find really, really strange. But we saw it last season at Brentford. You made that point when it was the pandemic and you said, look, this I do, when the crowds come back, they're going to struggle and they did. And I guess that kind of put a fake lens over those results because we were winning a lot and they were doing very well away. Obviously, that fantastic away record under Solskjaer, but it was behind closed doors and did it really count, I guess? You know, and that's, that's how I felt yeah. at the time. You, you knew, you just, just going to those games, that was not a reliable gauge of, of a match. Atmosphere. You think of the big atmospheres that they struggled in last season, uh, Sevilla away, they yeah. just sulked. Uh, Newcastle at St James's Park some of their worst performances they really struggled in the big atmosphere and it's, it's definitely a valid point I think Rashford he's such a confidence player when things are going well he's, he does it off instinct and he takes on players he drives and when he plays, it, plays up front he leads the line through the middle we discussed this uh, his performance against Wolves he doesn't really get involved does he he has few touches and I think that dents his confidence and he starts to sulk a bit and we saw that with his body language, didn't we, again, I guess. But he missed that chance. I think he would have been offside with that header. 
in the first I half. thought, yeah, I thought he was slightly offside. Yeah. It, it was, it would have got, you know, well, a very... Bruno Fernandes definitely wasn't offside when he, when he missed that header. And you have to score that. If you're a Premier League midfielder, the biggest club in England, you have to put that in. And to be fair to Fernandes, he said after the game, look, I should have scored. His reason was, uh, I took my eyes off it. I looked at the goalkeeper. If it's probably a different game if he puts that in the net because United should have had a goal. Spurs would have felt aggrieved maybe at, at halftime not to have, have a goal. I mean, they hit the bar, didn't they, twice in the quick bar, succession? Hit the post, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we were just talking before we came into the studio, Samuel. I think one of the most concerning things for me was they never actually looked like coming back into the game once they conceded that goal. And I think they looked short of fitness. We were just talking about it there. Is that because they've been on this pre-season tour of America where obviously good commercially, but it's probably not the best preparation? Or does that excuse not really wash? Because you look at other Premier League clubs that were in the States this season and they've started the, the campaign with more intent and they're just they're pressing better. And I didn't see that from United on Saturday. No, and, and Ten Hag was actually asked, it was, it was a bit of a random question from... Um, Mike McGrath but it, it works in retrospect he asked if, if the, the, the players were tied and Ten Hag said absolutely that was the first word he used but he also said it's not an excuse and as far as the tour goes the, the commercial days were scaled back from, from last year uh, in terms of tour diaries that we, we were doing there was a lot more from Australia and, and, and Bangkok about players engaging with fans than there were in America, United were doing fan, fan activities, but it was mainly staff at the club who were representing the club. It wasn't really players getting involved with that. Yes, there's a lot of travelling and you, you, you're playing and you, you, you're training in quite intense heat in certain places. But Travelling affect your writing? Well, I'd like to think not. <laughs> I'd like to think not. I'd like to think I was, I was still on, on, on reasonably on the top of my game. But that excuse, I've I, footballers know it's it's coming. What I would say is that I, I didn't quite get the itinerary in that they started on the east coast and finished on the west coast. Logically, and this is what happened under Mourinho, you go to the west coast and then you come back east because you're going with the time zone and the time difference, and it's you do that to ease the jet lag. I think when you when when they ended the 2017 tour that was in Washington the next year it ended in Miami the time difference between those cities and the UK is, is five hours it's more manageable in, in Las Vegas it's eight hours which is a pretty big difference so that would have contributed to an extent but they still had enough downtime since they got back and it's not like uh, the players were starting two games in a weekend the, those who started against Lons had a day off the next day was their teammates went off to Dublin. There was a nine-day gap between the Lons and, and Wolves games. And similarly, with, with, with the Tottenham game, it's, it's a five-day gap. It's not like people going into that saying, oh, Tottenham have got a big advantage because they played on the Sunday and United played on the Monday night. It, just, it doesn't wash. And it, it, is, it is becoming a weird theme with United managers and that they seem to inherit squads and one of the issues they have is that they're not fit enough. On Solskjaer's first pre-season tour, we all did quite big in-depth pieces on getting them fitter and um, you know, improving their conditioning and why this was a problem, that was a problem. 
And of course, come the end of it, you know, Ten Hag goes in. And he says that they didn't sleep right, they didn't eat right, they, uh, the recovery so, wasn't right. So why right. are these problems? Why is this happening again with Ten Hag? I mean, at the start of last season, it was you could forgive it because his first few months at the club and those Brentford running stats. Remember how poor they were? He yeah. famously made them run the next day at training and he took part. But he's had pre-season this summer. So he's had time to prepare. So why is it happening again? I don't know. I don't, it's it's, it's got to be a mentality issue yeah. with some players. I mean, Luke Shaw can be a world-class player on his day and I thought he, he was excellent last season. But he did have... He had Brentford last season as well where he was just labouring about the pitch. And you, as I said, his defending for the first goal on, on Saturday was Luke Shaw at his very worst. And unfortunately, he's still, he's still got that in him even though he has... He has hit the heights that were expected of him as a teenager, as a left-back. I think there has been a time, or there have been times in his career, when you could say he's the best left-back in the world. But he still has this tendency to regress. And unfortunately, because of, you know, I suppose it's a little bit magnified more with him because he's had issues about his fitness in the past, that when he jogs, it is going to be yeah, particularly exactly. highlighted or it does stand out in particular in, in contrast to, to other players who, who maybe haven't had that stick in the past. And all of a sudden, you look at areas of the team. Uh, defensively, Varane is 30, Casemiro is 31, and they're starting to look their age. And look, you hope for United's sake, it's, it's a blip. And the, the next couple of games before the September internationals, there are improvements there. But they need to improve because they've had really, really slow starts. And, and Varane is suddenly looking a bit exposed. Uh, Casemiro, the, the graphic, obviously we talked about Wolves surrounding him. And I don't think that was necessarily his fault. He was just isolated. But there's, he's still not got that understanding with Mount. And I thought Mount actually was pretty good in the first half on, on Saturday. But then he was anonymous in the second half. And... Yeah, there were a hell of a lot of issues for United to, to address and as someone half-jokingly, I think it was Simon Peach, who said it's, it's almost become like that, that infamous tweet of the Moyes era when he said they need to improve on Everything. their defending <laughs> yeah. midfield and yeah. in attack. It's just interesting uh, how we've got here. I mean, all of a sudden, it was such a promising <laughs> end to, to last season. Obviously, the defeat in the FA Cup final was disappointing. But all in all, a really encouraging first year for Ten Hag. And then we'll start this, this year... I said to you just before, it almost feels like two defeats. They got the three points against Wolves, but it was a disappointing performance. Um, we'll come on to the midfield then, Samuel, because there is a conversation emerging now around Casemiro. I thought he was actually good against Wolves, which a lot of people disagreed with online, I saw. I think you were probably in the same camp as me. Um, but against Spurs, I think there was a few times he panicked when Basumo, the, the attackers had the ball. James Madison, he looked superb. And he caused a lot of problems for, for Casemiro. And it's interesting you brought up Mason Mount, who... He probably needed, because of the, the fee invested in him, he probably needed to hit the ground running just to alleviate some pressure. Poor against Wolves, a bit better in the first half, if you said, but he definitely faded, didn't he, in that, yeah. after half-time? Yeah. On the Casemiro performance against Wolves, my, my, my dad actually texted me afterwards and said, I don't know how you've given Casemiro a 7 out of 10 there. Uh, but I, I would say six, that... 6 was fair. Yeah, yeah. I think I did, I think after he said that, I did, I did think maybe 6 was, was probably more reflective of his performance. But looking at Tottenham's team at the weekend, two of the signs they've made, when they signed Bissouma last year, a lot of United fans were wondering why United not in for him. Understandably so. Now, he didn't get a look in under Conte, but I wouldn't say that was his fault. He's going to get a look in under Postacoglu and he's, he's had a good start to the season. I've said before, I'd have taken Madison over Mount. 
So already, just in that triangle there in Tottenham's team, you've you've got two players there who United should possibly have advisably signed ahead of the, the signings they did make. Now, with Casemiro in his first season, he was player of the year for me, had a slow start, but his influence was such that without him, I just don't think they'd have got into the Champions League last season. But... And, and Casemiro is the exception to the norm and given the, you know, the, the story today about Gravenberg, United are still signing players for the manager rather than the club and they should know better than most clubs how quickly it can spiral under a manager. He can look secure one month, he can look very insecure the next. Solskjaer got a new contract in July. By November he was sacked and he should have been sacked before that as well. I'm not saying for a second that is going to happen with Ten Hag, but you've got to plan appropriately. They're still signing players for the manager. Uh, Gravenberg ticks all the boxes, but he ticks the wrong boxes. He is Dutch. He played in the Eredivisie. He played for Ajax. He played for Ajax under Eric Ten Hag. That shouldn't be the essential criteria for Man United signing, but it seems to be with the majority of the players they're looking at. And we're in a similar situation to... To, to last year, I think Tuesday tomorrow is is uh, it's the anniversary of Casemiro's unveiling just before the game against Liverpool, and of course, nine days prior to that, United had a bad away defeat in the second match week of the season, and they made what seemed at the time a pretty dubious move from midfielder because they had a, an issue with their midfield, um, and and at the time, every, a lot of people were saying seventy million for a thirty year old on three hundred odd grand a week. Who's a Premier League five-year contract as well? Yeah, yeah. maximum five-year contract. Yeah, this really needs to work. And for a season, it it absolutely did. And it could still work this season. But Gravenberg, I just don't think, is the right profile of midfielder either. He's he's not an enforcer. More relevant than his experience under Ten Hag, he's gone to Bayern Munich, who obviously a huge club, and they have got better midfielders there than him. He started six times in just over a year. <laughs> and, and fair enough, I think a, a reserve by a Munich midfielder is, is good enough for Man United's midfield. I mean, United went and signed Marcel Sabitzer on loan in January. But if United think that he's going to be the solution to it, I, I just don't see it. The talk of a, a new player coming in, Samuel, obviously Amrabat's been linked, but we understand that Italian media have massively overplayed those links. Well, it happened with when Liverpool last week Obviously, two midfielders reject Liverpool to go to Chelsea. Amrabat's team, his agent, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile because all of a sudden there was speculation Liverpool would go in for him and Liverpool seemed to be quite quick to say, no, we're not going to be moving for him. Is, is, is this player coming in to succeed Casemiro? If, see if they do sign a new midfielder and, and number six. Because uh, I've saw some chatter that perhaps he could play alongside Casemiro, but that would mean... Where would Mount play? Where exactly. That's my play? exactly. So that, that just can't happen. You can't invest 55 million into Mason Mount and in, in bring in another six and have, that's just not going to work, two sixes. They're going to have one six, two eights, Fernandes sometimes plays a little bit deeper or a bit further forward. But it's just an interesting dynamic in that midfield at the moment. And yeah. I think the midfield last season, it was the strongest asset actually at the start of the season after that little blip. Ericsson, Fernandez, Casemiro, them yeah, three yeah, together, yeah. They, they were they fantastic. Really well. They were really good. Is it too soon to bring Ericsson back into the team? Um, yeah. And then maybe make Mount fight for his position and then come off the bench? Because I tweeted that after the game and someone said, is that a bit harsh already on Mount? In, in hindsight, maybe it is after two games. But 
Ericsson was so brilliant at the start of last season. Obviously, he did lack legs, didn't he, towards the back end of the year. But I don't know what you think about that. Look, I don't think it's a, an unreasonable suggestion because with Casemiro, Ericsson and, uh, and Fernandez, you could argue you have got a six, an eight and a ten there. It's, it's more balanced even though Ericsson is, is renowned as, as being a playmaker, but he knew going to United what his role would be. It seems like with Mount, he's still not quite fully accepted this new uh, remit he's got, which is to operate from deep and, of course, maximise his pressing. And, and sometimes it did work in, in the first half on, on Saturday. I think it led to a, a chance for... I think it was Anthony's first chance when he just you know, smacked the ball over the bar. But Mount when people think of him, they think of number 10 and he's not like Ericsson who at that stage of his career, I think he was quite happy to take a back seat because he was in his 30s. Of course, he had the, you know, the, the, the issue, to put it mildly, when he collapsed playing for Denmark. He, he's not going to be exerting as much energy as, as he once did when he was in his pomp at, at Tottenham. That, that role is occupied by, by Fernandes as well. But with Mount, when he was at Chelsea, you, if he was started for Chelsea, you'd expect him to be playing high up. And right now, United have not got that balance right. And you saw in the game against Real Madrid uh, in, in Houston, it was interesting what what Ten Hag did that evening. I think Fernandes played on the right, didn't he? Mount played behind Rashford. It was Kobe Maynou and Casemiro as the two midfielders. And maybe he would have looked at doing that against Tottenham if, if Maynou was fit. I found it odd when... It, full time was looming and the cameras uh, f- homed in on Scott McTominay and when that happens you know that the co-commentator is going off on one about or, or talking about the player concerned that that game was not crying out for McTominay he, he's a he's a bustling midfielder he's committed but it was more logical I'm, I'm not a particular admirer of Anthony Martial, just mainly due to his injury and goal-scoring record in recent years. But it was a hell of a lot more logical to bring him on than it was to bring on McTominay. And Gary Neville, at the moment, there were times when he's more impassioned than impartial in, in, com- in the commentary gantry and his, his heart is ruling his head. But McTominay is not the solution for United. Um, but the fact that Gary Neville is talking about that and a friend who's a season ticket holder said to me this morning, like, you know, if, if things haven't changed, you've got to start McTominay against Arsenal. And I said, well, do you remember last season at the Emirates, McTominay came in when Casemiro was, was injured and Arsenal rode roughshod over him. It, the, the balance wasn't right there. They should have been more decisive about it, but it feels like they're, they're being more reactive than proactive with this. They, they, they knew, given this shortlist that they drafted up and the openness to signing midfielder, that they needed a new midfielder and Ten Hag wants a, another midfielder. But they should have gone about it more proactively and now it seems like they're, they're behind the curve and there were, what, uh, just, just over 10 days left of the transfer window open and you're going for someone who the manager knew. It's, it's a bit hackneyed, really. It's another example of poor planning, really, and we talked about that earlier with the, the striker problem. Um, we'll be back in a moment for part two. That's it for part one. I 
think that part was a bit long. Sammy, we'll chat on, but we had plenty to talk about. And we're just only getting started, I think, anyways. There was plenty to dissect from the game. And we've not even touched on Anthony's performance yet. Uh, I talked about what I tweeted after the match. And I think I said, Anthony, 86 million on Anthony continues to baffle, really. Um, I mean, eight goals, three assists last season. He was given the rightly given the benefit of the doubt in his first year. He's, he's coming from the Dutch first division and settling down in England. Um, but he scored three goals in his first three games. And I think since then, the goals just dried up. And he's probably regressed, as you've said, over the months, actually. And his performances as well. I think there's certain aspects of his game that really frustrate supporters. He's seemingly incapable of beating a man. when He, he doesn't go to the touchline, does he? The byline, sorry, and, and make a cross which is refreshing what you can get at you on the other side because he tries to do that. And his preference to cut inside and left is no secret, is it? And you kind of roll this up into the player. He's always coming back, he's, he's passing, his, his finishing is not the best. Um, he's becoming a bit of a problem, isn't he? And I've saw some shouts, obviously, to move him to the bench, but and his performance would probably warrant that. Um, is, is Palestri a shout to come in? And because Tenog does not trust Palestri, we know that. But each cameo he makes, it's, it's promising, isn't it? He's, the only start he he had was away at Betis, and the the tie was pretty much done at that point. United were four and up from the first leg. With Anthony, I think the real sign of his regression is where he was receiving the ball quite frequently on Saturday, which was in the middle, uh, the, the middle third. Attacks die when he gets the ball there. He needs to be high up where he can just cut inside and shoot or he can feed, uh, feed a player, which he, he did in fairness with, with Rashford and his one-on-one. He was in the right position. He did the right thing there. It was one of the few good things that he did. But it, I think it was around January time last season when he played back-to-back against Palace and Arsenal and he was really poor in both of them. And the problem was that he was receiving the ball too high up the pitch. He's not got the pace to go past a man. They will, the left back or a defender will just show him onto his right foot. And of course, if he's shown onto, onto his right foot, he's going down a cul-de-sac and he's either getting uh, dispossessed, he's getting tackled or he's getting fouled um, or sometimes a combination of all three. And he's getting narky about it as well, which is what happened at Palace. And Palace had his number at Selhurst Park in that draw last, last season. And I noticed that against Tottenham, he was, he was receiving the ball too close to when, where Ten Hag was, like on the halfway line. And also, I don't understand why nobody is telling him that when he gets the ball, you know, let the ball, use your boot, don't use your studs. This obsession he has with like treating it like it's a beach soccer It's a Brazilian game. thing, that. There's a, there's a few other Brazilian players over the weekend that I know it, it's doing it, Ronaldinho that. did it, but Ronaldinho could... Could get away with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this whole that's, sometimes it's you know if if a player as a person wants to impose their personality on the game, if it's effective, great, let him do it. But Anthony is not an effective player at all. And I mean the, the Anthony, whatever you want to call it, last season oh, when he did you, that. You try to do that in five aside, so don't come criticising. I'm not made you the other. Night. Let's let's. <laughs> it came to that, that, that came to nothing. <laughs> the nutmeg came to nothing. I must add. It did, uh, but he did. He tried that last season, and he played the ball to the goalkeeper, and it was nil nil against FC Sheriff in the Europa League. And you think, why? Yeah. And and there'll be some defenders out there of him, but and and I would defend him if it was effective, but. 
It's not. Uh, Ronaldo, in his first stint at United, he would showboat at times, but there were times when he actually did get the timing of it right and you could appreciate it and, and applaud it and uh, it, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it would be a bit disrespectful of the of the opposition and obviously players are never going to... Opponents are never going to take too kindly to it. But Anthony is just too casual and I don't I don't understand it. He, he was... He's one of those players that when... When United were looking at him, I was thinking, just on United's behalf, don't do that because he's going to cost a lot. His record wasn't... His record is underwhelming yeah. in the Eredivisie and the price is just going up here. And when you think about it, 100 million euros on someone who's unproven, when you're spending 100 million euros on a forward, they've got, there's got to be some guarantee there and there isn't with him. And even on his debut when he scored... We all pretty much agree that yes, he scored, but his overall performance was was not that. It's not. It wasn't particularly good. The goal masked it, and of course, you score in a three-one win against Arsenal. It's not the time to home in on negatives. But a few weeks later, when he's abandoning his fullback and United concede in six against Manchester City, that that is a time to um, to highlight those issues. So he he was he was probably their worst player against Spurs. Um, unfortunately for him. And this is the issue United have as well. It is all well and good saying, you know, drop Anthony. But the alternative is Palestri, who's never started a Premier League game. Rich wrote something the other week saying there could be an issue with registering him for the squad this season just because um, he, he doesn't fall into the under-21 category anymore. He, he just misses out on that. I suspect he will be registered just because of um, the, the likely outgoings elsewhere. But it's either him or it's Ahmad. And... That's that's not a great position to be in. It comes back to the squad depth situation, which and the squad depth is just not strong enough. It's it's so lacking. There were two goalies on the bench at the weekend. He's very guilty of overplaying, and that's another frustrating thing. He takes one too many touches, and you think, get your head up, make the pass. I was kicking myself uh, in the press box at Wolves when he was right close to us, running up that side. I thought, come on, do it quicker. Just do everything quicker. Yeah. But you look at that money that's been invested in Anthony, eighty-six million. 73 million in Jadon Sancho. These are two players that came to the club, two wingers, that United have invested a lot of money in. And for the, for the investment, the return's been really poor. Um, does this kind of fall on Ten Hag's shoulders, this one, I, I think, with Anthony? Because he was the one who pushed so hard to sign him. He insisted all last summer he wanted him from Ajax. As you said, the price increased and increased. But Ten Hag was still insistent on saying them that you got us mad eventually and does that contribute to why is that a factor in why he's probably not dropping them we've talked about the lack of competition as well but this is very much Ten Hag saying it isn't it I know all of them are but Anthony feels because of the fee paid um, he's very much Ten Hag's man if you, if you get what I'm saying yeah and in fairness they've they've not bickered as such but certainly at Newcastle in, in April Anthony was probably the best of a bad bunch. Like he, he had something about him that day, whereas the other forwards didn't. And it was a surprise when he was the first forward to be taken off. And I don't think many particularly agreed with that. He shouldn't and have been he taken was, off that day. And, and he was pretty much expressing his misgivings about it to Ten Hag. And, and, and that character, Ten Hag has said, that that's one of his strengths. He, he has got... There's a headstrong nature about Anthony that you can get behind. But I just, at the time of that interest last year, I just thought, fair enough, they need a left-footed forward because they did need to balance out that attack. It was too lopsided. They, they've had a sewer fit of, 
of, of right-footed left wingers, but they needed someone proven. And look, there's, there's no getting away from it. Ten Hag is the only manager who would have said, let's sign Anthony. Um, and United can protest all they like. And I'm sure Anthony would have been on their radar of, of some sort because you know, they, they were telling us in the summer about how there were 18, 1,800 forwards out there to look at and possibly you know, sign, you know, and yeah, the, we can press a magic button and 804 right backs. You know, if, if you've got a pulse and you're a professional footballer, the chances are Manchester United have clapped eyes on you in, in some way or form. But they, I, I always felt they needed to be Kanye with it. Um, with with the recruitment there and look, with, with Lissandro Martinez he wanted a left-footed centre-back the scouts suggested Paul Torres Ten Hag said no we're going for this guy Martinez has been a brilliant signing for them but for every Lissandro Martinez there's there's Anthony and the hit rate is it's suddenly it's starting to look quite iffy um, you know we, we are we are early in the season but Anthony did not have an outright good First season. I don't. I wouldn't say he had a bad first season. Indifferent. I it think was, is the word. Yeah, to, absolutely. Uh, I think that's fair. He's a work in progress, but you can only be a hundred million euro work in progress for so long. And this is his second season now, and he looks like he's not bucked his ideas up. You look at other wingers in the Premier League. Not necessarily names you'd want to sign for Manchester United on paper. Um, Moussa Diaby, 35 million. He's, he's looked really good in his appearances for Aston Villa. Even Harvey Barnes, who was fantastic for Leicester, who's now at Newcastle. These kind of wingers who, I mean, they cost half the price, but at the moment they're so much more effective than Anthony in games. A couple at Palace, Eze, um, and, and you could You could list a ton of them, couldn't you, really? And these players are, like I say, worth a fraction of what. United pay for Anthony, but they're delivering so much more. And that makes you think, come on, we need, we need more from you. Yeah, we really do. Um, we'll end this uh, section, Samuel, but give a quick mention to the, the penalty shout because uh, Ganacho cuts inside, hits his shot. Um, Romero, who loves the yellow card, uh, his, his arms extended from his body. I presume you guys in the press box thought this has to be a penalty. VAR checked it. It wasn't given. That was the wrong decision, wasn't it? I thought so. The I listened to the Sky podcast um, and, and the three pundits all said it, it wasn't a penalty. Andros Townsend, who obviously pl- used to play for Tottenham, said 100% never a penalty. The, yeah, and somebody said, where can he put his arm? Well, he can put his arm down his side. It was so outstretched, he was practically goalkeeping. The proximity argument, I think, is, is moot. He has got it so outstretched that it's, it's blocking the ball. It's a goal-bound attempt. There were a lot of penalties given for handballs like that last season. There have been penalties given for more dubious handballs. You think of, just as a United-related example, um, Kimpembe in the PSG game from from Dallow's shot. That handball on Saturday was more of a penalty. You could could go through all the handball penalties that have been given in the Premier League over last year and a lot would not have been as obvious as the one at the weekend. And... It's not an excuse for United's defeat, and I'm glad we've brought it in this late because there were far greater issues uh, that contributed to it. But it did have a bearing in that I think Michael Oliver, who is a referee, I've never, I've never noticed anything particularly good about him. I don't understand what the fuss is about him, but what I have noticed about him is that he does enjoy grandstanding, and of course. He seemed to be in grandstanding mode after he didn't give that penalty. The, the bookings for Wan-Bissaka and Anthony were deserved. 
But United were unhappy that when Fernandes approached him, and Fernandes shouldn't have said anything to him contesting uh, Anthony's booking. It was an obvious booking. But he just said something to him and he was booked immediately. And as captain, he is entitled to speak to the referee. Sometimes there's a time and a place, but you do that. And all you're going to achieve in doing is getting a yellow card and getting the crowd up even more against you. And it seemed like Tottenham did feed off that energy. And Ten Hag even cited it at his post-match press conference, how towards the end of the first half, I think there were three bookings in five minutes that United got. And of course, Tottenham had that flurry of chances where they uh, Porro hit the bar and Sars' effort hit the post a few seconds later. And, and Tottenham probably you know, used that to their advantage at the start of the second half as well. Uh, whereas United, by that point, they were in the, the referee's bad book, so to speak. And no matter how what, what people may say about referees being objective, I, I do think with Fernandes, and everyone knows he, he, about his in-game interrogations of, of referees, and it, it can be tedious at times, and there is a time to wind in. And, and he shouldn't have said anything to Oliver because there was nothing to contest. It was an obvious card against Anthony. But as captain, he has a right to, you know, to, to you know, query certain things. And um, I think a, a poor precedent has been set by John Moss rushing down to apologise to, to Gary O'Neill. I think Wolves were entitled to an apology over that diabolical decision where they didn't get a penalty. But... You know, John Moss was there in the in corporate, probably you know, enjoying his prawn sandwiches. And his first port of call is to get down to, to Gary O'Neill and profusely apologise for the poor officiating. Every club is going to be wondering, well, where's John Moss here today? Why isn't he apologising to me? To have gone down so hurriedly is not a good look. And as I said, you know, Fernandez obviously raised it and. He, he, he took responsibility for cocking up and he played poorly as well. He was really bad, but he was entitled to wonder where, when, when United were going to get an apology, but I suspect they won't. Well, Mike Dean's hung up his whistle now when he's retired, hasn't he? So someone has, someone has to, to be the voice, celebrity yeah. ref in the Premier League and it's Michael Oliver now, clearly. I so. Although I will admit, Samuel, I did laugh seeing Fernandez's comments after the game. Obviously, he wanted an apology, probably within his merit too, as we've just said, but... On Monday night after the Wolves game, he was asked about the penalty incident and he said, ah, oh, just how the referee saw it. So you can't have it both ways, I guess. Can no, you? no. That's he, the thing. He, I think that's, uh, that's him being subjective rather yeah, than Yeah, Andrew Nana made his laugh in the mix zone after the game and he was asked whether it was a penalty and he went, not at all, never. <laughs> and we kind of looked at him and thought, being serious? And yeah, anyways, uh, we'll leave that there for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three. Welcome back, yeah, for part three. It's getting a bit hot in this room, Samuel. I don't know about you, but I'm, uh, I'm feeling the temperature. You've just been offered a refill of water, but I wasn't by the podcast producer because mine's still full, actually, as he just pointed out. I've been trying your to glass, dig... Your glass, not even glass half full, your glass There you go. I've tried to dig the producer out, but he's made us look like a fool. Anyway, Samuel, back to the game. Um, I've just mentioned Anana in the mix zone at Wolves, but if we're going to take any positives from that match on Saturday evening, I thought Anana was a positive. Uh, another good shot-stopping display. He was competent against Wolves. Um, he made a few good saves. And do you remember that pass, was it? To Garnacho, oh, I think. That was, was brilliant, yeah. wasn't it? We had a great view of that because yeah. we were almost in line uh, with him in the press box and you could you could see as soon as he pinged it where it was going and it was going to go to the right man and it was, you know, it was great vision and that's why United bought him. 
we've, we've obviously just touched upon Ten Hag's recruitment hit rate looking a bit iffy, but with Anana, they have got an upgrade in goal. He's, he's a good shot stopper, but he's also brilliant with his feet and he's going to underpin a fair few attacks this season. You couldn't say that about De Gea. His starting position from an opponent's corner, that, that's been embraced in by Tom Heaton on tour. He was by the halfway line sometimes when... United had corners to anticipate uh, potential counter-attacks and to try and try and halt them quite quickly. Uh, he did make a good save from Saab, as you say. He couldn't do anything about either goal either. None of them were, were his fault. So he's actually had a he's had a good start to his United career. He was a bit fortunate against Wolves where he should have had a penalty given against him. But by and large, there, there are not there aren't many issues. I'm not sure they're there is an issue, in fact, with him so far. He actually played pretty well on tour as well. He had he had some good games when he when he came in against Real Madrid, and I think he played did he played the second half against uh, Dortmund. I think he played the second half against Dortmund in in Las Vegas. I don't blame you for not remembering that. That would have been a very early kickoff start time for you that morning. So yeah, so far so good. You you can't complain about him really. I love how vocal he's been, how commanding. I know there was uh, talk. Some people criticised him for kind of uh, digging out Harry Maguire. Yeah, Ty was one of them. But I, I think didn't... Ty is, is very sympathetic towards Harry Maguire at the moment. I like that from a goalkeeper. Though. That's what a goalkeeper is supposed to do, in my opinion. They set the tone at the back, and Anana certainly has a very good start. Um, if we go back to the negative points, so, uh, anyways, because it was more than them than the positives, of course. The away record, we discussed it plenty last season. It was very poor. And we discussed it going into this game um, when me and you did the, the preview podcast. They won eight away games last season, six of them against the bottom six. So it was a clear problem, clear area for improvement. And this is another away game where it happens again. And we've got Arsenal, obviously Nottingham Forest this weekend, Arsenal the weekend after that. This, this does need improvement, doesn't it? I know Tenal kind of played it down for, for a large part of last season. But I think he's kind of admitted, yeah, this, this is something we need to kind of fix because it's becoming an issue where it has been an issue for a while. It's been an issue for two years, even when crowds came back in at the start of the 21-22 season. They had some very iffy away games. They got a draw at Southampton, but could easily have lost. Uh, away at Wolves, just just after Ronaldo's re-signing had been confirmed, they somehow won that game. Uh, Wolves were by far and away the, the better side. I think then it was West Ham and, and Mark Noble had his penalty saved right at the death. That, 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 was, you know, that was quite a tight game. And then, of course, it very quickly spiralled under Solskjaer with the infamous uh, Leicester 4-2 uh, collapse. and uh, Beginning of the end for, yeah, for Solskjaer. Yeah, yeah, Wat, Watford 4-1. And there were, there were a lot more worse results in some ways uh, that season away from home under, under Ralph Rangnick. And I go back to the point, and I, I wrote it back then as well, uh, crowds that are vociferous or loud or really up for it, United seemed to really struggle um, at, at these stadiums. And it was, it was bad enough at Tottenham in April when the, the, the support from, from uh, Tottenham's fans that night was, was pretty mutinous because they were chanting Levy out. They, uh, Conte had not long gone. The, the mood at the club was not good whatsoever. United fans were crowing about seeing Harry Kane in June. It was never going to be in June, if even if it, if if they were going to sign Kane, it's going to be on August the twenty eighth, wasn't it? If it was going to yeah, they 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 missed an opportunity there. They were two 0 up at half time, and then they they threw it away in in the second in the second half. 
and, and on Saturday, the, the atmosphere was excellent at the stadium. You, there was no anti-Levy chanting. Uh, they noticed Deli Ali, who sat just behind us, and it was it was nice. It was genuinely nice to see Spurs fans showing real appreciation for him. And it was a new manager in charge, new signings. So there was there was a bit of optimism around the place, and, and Tottenham sees on that. And once that first goal went in, as you said, United had a couple of good opportunities to equalise for, for Anthony and, and Casemiro's header, but you never got the sense that they were going to really grab the game by the lapels and, and really dominate it and, and take command of it and really have Tottenham on the back foot. And Tottenham of yesteryear would have folded against United, but on, on this occasion, it felt like it was it was United who folded. They were struggling to retain possession. I thought that was really concerning. I, I can't really recall... I'm knocking the ball around or having like a positive spell and really turning the screw. And no, pressure, no, I agree. Which was a factor in why they didn't look like scoring. Um, any other positives, Samuel, from that game? I don't think so. You don't think so? <laughs> I don't think so. As, as I said, I, 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 I publicised it. I thought Mount had a, a good first half, but that was pretty inconsequential given what happened in the second half. When you look at the results last season, I think one of the strengths, actually, it's a bit, a bit bizarre seeing it was a strength, but when they threw in these terrible performances, they would bounce back, wouldn't they? So, I mean, it's not Nun Forest this weekend. They play quite well against Arsenal, actually, at the Emirates, so it's not going to be a complete penalty kick. Yeah, it's not their away record is poor. You, you would You'd expect, expect United, United to win. United to win. Yeah. But the, the, the problem, as you said, is that they then go to Arsenal when already United fans who I'm speaking to are looking at that game with a sense of dread. They haven't said that after the September internationals and I think the bank of games they've got in the league three are at home, one's away at Burnley. So that's that's a crumb of comfort given you know, their, their travel sickness, if you like. And Brighton at home, isn't it, after Arsenal? It's it's very early. It's two games in. Um, there have been some worrying signs, as we've discussed throughout this podcast. But as things stand, if you had to nail your colours to the mast, what would be your prediction? I know you hate doing this. I know you really do it, because I always ask you. But if you had to look ahead to the season... Pretend the transfer window shut today and you, you know all the business the other clubs have done. What would you say is going to happen? I'd probably still have United down for top four, but maybe not as high as last season. So that would put them at fourth. Uh, they, they, given the investment in under Ten Hag, the minimum they should be looking at is to improve. But you know, the, the start has, has not been, is, is not going to instill a lot of confidence among, among supporters. But there's there's potential to improve undoubtedly and, and they're going to have to do that in terms of their their performance level. The, the first half against Tottenham was was pretty good apart from the finishing. They created great chances. They um, I thought they, they switched the ball well. I thought Ten Hag's analysis of, of that portion of the game was was fair, but unfortunately that was you know, that was rendered inconsequential because of the, the second half performance. That's what mattered more. It's going to be a lot of pressure on Hoyland's uh, shoulders, isn't it, when he comes back? Because as a young striker, this team desperately needs a forward who can find the back of the net. Um, and unfortunately, he's got 27 goals and 87 exactly, appearances. Exactly. And it, I, look, I wrote it's the, the pressure on him is becoming unfair because he arrived, I mean, leading the line for Man United is enough pressure, never mind the fee that they paid, never mind his pretty mediocre goal scoring record at club level. Never mind, they don't have a fit, st- fit striker starting at the moment, or that the forwards who are starting can't score, or that Harry Kane has finally left Tottenham this summer. I mean, the more you think about it, that is just, it's difficult to, 
be under more pressure as a Man United striker. I think the nature of this back injury as well really isn't ideal because if you, they're probably going to rush him back sooner than really, really would be, you know, the medical advice strictly because they need him back as soon as possible, really. And if he's carrying around maybe a knock when he comes back, which I imagine he will be still, um, they're going to have to manage his minutes probably as well, aren't they? Which, yeah. which will, that's another concern. But I am a glass half full kind of guy and they had a much worse start last season and the other game had to They've got three more points than this time exactly, last year. Exactly, and they didn't get thumped off Brentford, did they? Which was uh, a nightmare. Anyway, Sammy, we'll leave it there. So thanks for your time. Thank you. And thanks to listeners as usual. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast in the studio. Uh, head across to Apple Podcasts and Spotify check it out on social media, etc., and across on YouTube as usual, where we're ticking across nicely with the subscribers. So thanks for listening. Take care.